0: Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su-An. You're listening to an episode of our Brainwave series and as always, I'm joined by neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad-Anwar. How are you doing today, Dr. I'm Gina? good,
1: thank you. How are you, su
0: I'm good as well. Now, today we are joined by Dr. Kalista Lee. She's an enteric neuroscientist and our discussion today hopefully will shed more light on the role of the gut, um, particularly among people who have been diagnosed with um, autism spectrum disorder or ASD. So, we'll be exploring different aspects um, when it comes to this relationship. Thank you for joining us today, Kalista.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, um, Dr. Azina, as you know as well, the gut-brain axis is something we've covered quite a bit on this series, mm-hmm. albeit, um, albeit today we're doing it from a very different angle from what we've done in the past. Um, so I guess to start, you no, know, Kalista, perhaps you can explain why the gut is often referred to as the second brain.
2: Like the brain, the gut itself actually has um, its own Set of neurons. So it is also intrinsically, um, you know, innervated. And um, those neurons, well, so they do look a little bit different compared to the neurons that we see in our brain in Mm -hmm. that how it's being arranged. um, And so how it's um, being arranged is that um, they're present in sort of clusters. Mm And um, it's present in two layers within the gut walls. And so we call that the myoteric plexus and the submucosal plexus. And um, so these two layers of neurons, they um, essentially regulate gut motility and also gut uh, intestinal barrier function. So how the gut moves as well as, um, I guess, sort of controlling what goes through the barrier um, and things like that. So we do have neurons in a gut. And I think that's one of the reasons why we call it the second brain. But, you know, there's also definitely a lot of connections between the brain brain and the gut brain, the, the, the second brain. Um, and, uh, you know, that's also, of course, one of the reasons why we call it the second, second brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: And you, as I mentioned earlier, you're an enteric neuroscientist. Um, could you then also explain what is this enteric um, nervous system and, and how, is it, how is it then linked to the gut?
2: Yeah, so, um, the, well, first things first is that it's present within the gut itself. Mm-hmm. So it's within the gut walls, so the, the gut muscle walls. Um, and it controls a lot of key functions of the gut. So, um, you know, it, it controls how the gut contracts um, and relax, which is really important for, mm-hmm. um, I guess, moving food along and digestion and things like that. And it also controls um, the intestinal barrier function, which, you know, permeability and secretion in terms of secreting water, secreting mucus, mm-hmm. which is a nice little protective layer along the gut. You know, we talk a lot about the gut-brain mm-hmm. connection, and um, there is essentially a lot of pathways that connect the, the gut-brain. Um, there's the, the vagus nerve. Um, there's also microbial metabolites um and the one thing that we focus on um I, I guess the place where i did my phd research is the enteric nervous system and and that um essentially is i guess little chemicals like neuroimmune and neuroendocrine signaling chemicals mm-hmm. um that then also contribute to that connection between the gut and the brain. I mean, it's so
1: mm-hmm. underappreciated, I think. I mean, we, we, I think in the last show, we talked about the gut microbiota, right? Mm, with Prof Kala. Yeah, and, and, and actually, um, I myself don't really know very much about the enteric uh, nervous system uh, because I suppose, uh, well, at university, you know, we learned more about the central nervous system and very little was known back then or, or being researched on. Uh, so um, the second brain actually you know to me is for me now is really fascinating to mm-hmm. learn because to learn about because we, we we know very little about it I think right but you know what that you know Calista and her team and other groups are across the world you know are trying to understand a little bit more about how the enteric nervous system is sort of talking to the rest of the body right and and also yeah. in terms of immune system yeah yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so it's, it's pretty it's a pretty dynamic um, connection in that mm-hmm. sense. So it, they they all don't work on its own. Mm. They are always talking to one another. And um, I'm not a microbiologist, so I, I can't talk much about the microbiome. Sure. But definitely the entering nervous system talks to the microbiome, talks to the immune system that is, you know, within the gut walls. So there, there's a lot of focus on the central nervous system. And, you know, if we talk outside of brain in, mm-hmm. in our skulls, um, we usually refer to the spinal cord mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. Mm. But the enteric nervous system, which is the neurons in your gut, is essentially made up of as many neurons as there are in your in your spinal cord. Wow. Mm-hmm. So so it does play a, a pretty important role. Sure. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. What's that link between the enteric nervous system and the central nervous system as well?
2: Yeah, so um, the, well, I guess physically, there is the vagus nerve, Mm -hmm. which is a a direct nerve, a really long one that connects from the brain to the gut. Um, There's also many different types of chemicals that are being produced by the the, the brain that can then affect gut function. And also chemicals that are being produced in the gut, either by immune cells or even the microbes that are Mm -hmm. within um, the gut. Um, that can then cross over the intestinal barrier and also some of these microbial metabolites can cross over the blood-brain barrier mm-hmm. as well. Um, and so I think that's yeah, a few ways that um, the central
1: nervous system can then also talk to the enteric nervous system and vice versa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you can, I, I suppose, you know, coming back to this crosstalk, to what extent can your brain control your gut you know your bowel movements, let's see, right mm. because I suppose like you know when when we get nervous or yeah. scared like we we tend to have to go to the bathroom right yeah. And that could be one sort of slightly crude example of oh, course sure. of um you know uh how your mood or your central nervous system could be affecting the gut, but then the other way around, then how could the gut then be kind of affecting um your 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 th- your thoughts or your mood, for example
2: yeah, so um well. I think the first thing that comes to mind when you um, mention that is, of course, definitely our our diet. Mm -hmm. So what we put into our gut definitely affects our mood. So Mm. directly what we eat will affect our gut microbiome. And that also then affects the microbial metabolite that it produces, which can then, you know, um, talk to the enteric nervous system, talk to the immune cells that are within the gut and also talk to the neurons within the brain, so the central nervous system. So yeah. that is, I guess, from bottom up, right? Yeah. So from the gut to the brain. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it works both ways. It's a bi-directional sure. communication.
1: So you know how uh, it's often said that our uh, gut produces quite a large amount of serotonin, right? Yeah. And and I suppose that serotonin that's being produced from Uh, by the gut, presumably from the bacteria, is also affecting the neurons that are in the enteric nervous system, right?
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, by the bacteria, but also by gut epithelial cells, Mm. which are, you know, can also be modulated by which bacteria are present in the gut. Right. Um, And also... Yes, so it can affect the entering nervous system, but
1: also the central nervous system. Right. So, yeah. And and actually, I came across an article that said that just like the neurons in the brain, actually, the neurons in the gut also have an ability to, to learn and to sort of remember things in, to a certain extent because of the uh, changes to the to the diet, let's say, or changes to um, uh, the the population of bacteria that's mm. in the gut, then they have the ability to make slightly different synapses, which then remain long term. Mm-hmm. So that then that allows your gut to kind of adapt, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. Uh, to changing changing diet. If you migrate, or you know, uh, change if you're ill, for example, you know. So actually, it's it's really complicated, is it? Yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And and I think research in this field. It's still in its early days. Mm. Um, a lot of times, when we we think about neurological disorders, um, neurodevelopmental, neurodegenerative disorders, um, a lot of focus has been on the brain mm-hmm. and the central nervous system. Um, but I think more and more research is also reaching out to the enteric nervous system. And and interestingly, we are finding, um, I guess, similar signatures. That we're seeing in the central nervous system, but we're also seeing it in the enteric nervous system, mm. and like how the central nervous system controls behavior, mood, um, so essentially brain function. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see that change in gut function. Mm. So how the enteric nervous system um, modulates gut function that is also altered in in um, certain neuro disorders. Mm
0: -hmm. We'll go for a quick break now and then continue this discussion when we come back and then we'll dive more into that role between the enteric nervous system and neurodevelopmental disorders which is something that your expertise is in Calista. Um, On the show with me today are Dr. Azina Ahmad Anwar neurogeneticist and Dr. Calista Lee enteric neuroscientist we are talking about the enteric nervous system and also it's link to um, neurodevelopmental um, disorders in particular autism spectrum disorder. We'll be right back after a quick break so keep it here on Brainwaves on Health & Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And on the show with me today is neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad-Anwar for her Brainwave series. And joining us today is enteric neuroscientist Dr. Kalista Lee. We are talking about the enteric nervous system. um, As you might have guessed from um, Kalista's designation, we are also talking about how it links to um, neurodevelopmental disorders like autism. um, And that is something that Kalista has studied in particular for her Um, PhD. Now, before the break, you just touched on um, how the, the the changes in the gut can also cause changes in mood and behaviour similar to how changes in the brain can also affect similar things. Maybe from there then, you know, what have been some of the recent research findings that have linked gut problems to disorders like autism spectrum disorders? And what, has, what have these findings told us about how that connection worked?
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm going to take a step back mm-hmm. and just um, start, I guess, um, with a, a very brief introduction on ASD or mm-hmm. Autism Spectrum Disorder. So when we talk about autism, it's, it's uh, I guess, traditionally a very brain-focused um, condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's often characterized by stereotypical behaviors, deficits in um, social interaction and communication. And it's also one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders um, worldwide. The statistics that the latest statistics that we currently have is one in thirty six children, mm-hmm. and that's that's in the states. Um, but um, I think that also I guess rings yeah, yeah, it rings yeah true um, mm-hmm. in, in in Malaysia, Malaysia as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And so you know we always think about the behavioral symptoms, um, but you know, they also actually often present with gastrointestinal mm. um, issues as well. Um, and these symptoms can range from chronic gut pain um, to uh, constipation and diarrhea, you know, which is, I guess, to- two total opposites. Mm. Um, but, so so the gastro symptoms vary as well mm-hmm. um, in individuals with autism. Um, and you know, children who have been diagnosed with ASD um, do experience gastrointestinal symptoms that are also more severe mm-hmm. and more frequent. So, about four times more frequent than children without
1: autism. Mm. And, and that's um, independent of their diet, right? Because uh, children living with autism, they also might have issues with um,
2: yeah. um, their diet. Yeah. You know, if they're not
1: and they're not eating properly. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So um, there has been studies out there uh, that are trying to sort of um, uncover this kind of this link. Mm. Um, it's and it's really a chicken or chicken yeah. egg situation, yeah. right? So whether or not. Um, you know their eating behavior, whether or not that then affects the the behavior behavior, mm-hmm. um, or is it the other way around? Is mm-hmm. it because of um, I guess the chemical imbalance in the in the brain and the central nervous system and the enteric nervous system, and then that then cause um, difficulties with their eating behavior? Mm-hmm. And there has been research supporting both. Mm-hmm. So back to um, individuals with autism and and gastrointestinal problems, um, you know, these gastrointestinal symptoms also tend to strongly correlate with the behavioral symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, like um, increased irritability, um, anxiety, and social withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think just going back to sort of brain behavior as well as gut function, so we can see almost a a direct correlation there Mm -hmm. um so our our group actually works with a genetic model Mm -hmm. of um so it's a genetic mouse model Mm -hmm. of autism and um i must preface this by saying that it's it's a pretty controversial topic Mm -hmm. so asd or autism spectrum disorder is inherently a a human condition Mm -hmm. and we can't really Model a human behavioral condition in animals, right? It's, it's very different, mm. um, but um, but it is important to study mm. autism in in an
1: in an organism, and mm-hmm. so this is essentially the best that we have for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and the gene that you are working on is. Uh, also expressed and found in humans, yes, right, and yeah. and also has the same function as it would in the mouse. Yes, so so that's why it's sort of justified. Yeah, in, in, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, the the mouse model that we work with has a very small mutation mm-hmm. um, in a protein called neuroglan three, and so this protein is present. is a It's a postsynaptic protein, and it's present at the synapse, and so you know synapses are. Um, points of communication between neurons, and um, it's essentially a really small mutation. But because of that, um, there has been um, many studies that have validated this model mm-hmm. um, in the brain. So you know, um, imbalance in the excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmission. So essentially, the, the brain isn't, uh, the brain neurons aren't communicating well mm-hmm. to each other, and so. The this particular animal model that we work with also show autism um, ASD like um, behavior. Mm-hmm. So and, and we can test that in in animals. So for example, like rep- repetitive behavior, um, vocalization, um, social interaction, um, and so with these kind of assays, um, we you know that's that's how we sort of validate. Um, an ASD model, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So the 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 three. Um, so I know the neuroleigin in the central nervous system neurons. Um, it it um, partners with another. Protein, right, known as neurexin, yeah. and they—if you think of um, Velcro, right—so yeah. there's one. Um, the neurexin is on one uh, uh, one part of the synapse. So if you think back to your textbook, mm-hmm. you know you have a picture of a synapse, and you have what's called the presynaptic terminal that has all the synaptic vesicles with neurotransmitters, and then and then when you get an, an action potential or an activation of that neuron, then the the uh, neurotransmitters are released into the synapse synaptic cleft and then it goes across to um the receptors on the postsynaptic, right? So that synapse structure is really important to keep stable. Mm-hmm. And um the neurexin and the neuroligin are really important because um they they both kind of they they both act as you know the two bits of the velcro so they keep the synapse um, um, stable and strong so that that kind of um, communication can happen um, rapidly and, and efficiently. So so does it work um, the same, does it have the same role in the enteric uh, nervous system neurons? So in terms
2: of whether or not they have the exact same role, mm-hmm. we are still trying to figure that out. Oh, okay. But we know that it is present mm-hmm. in the enteric nervous system. So the neural ligand 3 is, is present, it, it's, it's there. Um, but whether or not it functions the same, then that's, th- that's something that we need to um, think about it more, as well as whether or not, you know, if... Okay, so we, we do know that um, in mice with the mutation, mm-hmm. um, the, it, the, it then leads to a decreased amount of um, neural ligand 3 that's being produced mm-hmm. um, at the... At the synaptic. Class. So, w- what we have found in this model is that um, in in mice with this particular mutation, that they have um, increased number of um, certain populations of entering neurons, which then le- led us to start looking at gastrointestinal function, and then we also see a change in gastrointestinal function. Mm-hmm. So, I think um, it's important to note that. These mice that we're looking at, they're essentially identical. You know, they are eating the same thing. They're mm-hmm. living in the same environment. Um, but the only thing that's different is that one has the mutation and one does not have the mutation, the, the synaptic mutation. And with that, we still see, you know, differences in gut function and also microbiome. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so...
0: How does understanding what you see in these uh, mice then also help? Um, help someone understand how that link between gut and ASD in the human.
2: Yeah, so I think um, we ha- do perform essays like looking at gut motility. So I guess
1: a very direct sort of... Um, how do you do that? <laughs> gut motility? So how how it contracts? So. Yes, oh. so how fast it contracts.
2: And there are many different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. So... I think one of the most common ways would be to uh, feed the mouse a certain dye mm-hmm. and then after you know a certain amount of time, we look at how far the dye has travelled or I guess the production of, of the first dyed fecal palate. Right. Mm. So that's one of the ways. But in our group, we tend to look at the entire gastrointestinal tract in a region-specific manner. Mm-hmm. So what we do is that we chop up the regions and we place it in an organ bath mm-hmm. so we keep it nice and warm give it um,
1: <laughs> like, um a like, yeah, yeah. like a bathtub Yeah,
2: like a bathtub bubbling with um, <laughs> oxygen and carbon uh, carbon dioxide and because of the enteric nervous system because of the intrinsic innervation within the gut mm-hmm. these gut will stay alive for
1: up to three hours so a bit like the heart muscle, then that it can kind of beat on its own even without even outside the body. Yeah, ah, yeah, something like
2: that. Um, but we know that it's because of the intrinsic entering neurons that are controlling um,
1: gut motility mm-hmm. in, in this particular assay. So um, you so you cut them up and then you put them in all different bus tubs and then how do you actually measure the motility that you mentioned? Yeah, so yeah. we we essentially record it and we have an in-house software
2: that measures the, um, the upper uh, boundary of the gut and the lower boundary of the gut. And so if it's closer together, that means it's contracted and if it's... Um, further apart, that means it's it's relaxed, I see. and then it then produces a spatial temporal heat map so that we can quantify um, motility. Mm. So, sorry, back to your question um, about how we can sort of link this to humans. Mm. Um, so, you know, when we look at motility and whether or not it has increased or decreased, so faster or slower motility, we can sort of think about that as uh, faster would be um, like diarrhea. Where you know things move down the track faster and it's it doesn't get enough time to properly um, digest or be absorbed, um, and slower motility would be something like constipation, constipation. yeah, um, where you know there's a difficulty to move the uh, fecal matter down the gastrointestinal tracts. So that that's one function of the gut, so motility, and then of course there's also intestinal barrier function or permeability, mm. which uh, you know we talk about things
1: crossing over the gut. There's also assays for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so but the,
1: the, the, the mouse model uh, that you mentioned about yeah. that has the mutation. Yeah. So that, the reason why your group chose to work with that gene is because it's known that you can have mutations in that same gene that's linked to autism spectrum disorder or...? Oh, why, why did uh, why did your group decide to work on that particular gene? So that's a really
2: interesting question because we know, so the the reason why this model was first created was because the mutation was first found in two Swedish brothers mm-hmm. um, who are both who were both diagnosed with um, autism spectrum disorder. And in their clinical notes, they've also noted now that they've experienced um, gut dysfunction. Mm. And we know that in general, People who have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder also experience um, gut dysfunction or gut issues, and so that's why we went back to this particular model to sort of try to tease out um, how does the mutation then lead or also affect um, the gastrointestinal tract and mm-hmm. gut function. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Why is it important that we try and understand this link between the gut um, and ASD? Because as you said, right, in the past, a lot of the focus has been on the brain and ASD. It's a, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, how do you think better understanding of gut-brain interactions can help people who are living with autism?
2: Yeah, so I think one of the um, important points to mention is that a lot of times um, the gut symptoms, the severity of the gut sy- symptoms also correlate to the severity of the ASD symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so I think our goal um, of the field in general um, isn't to try to to treat ASD. Um, I think we have to be very careful about that. Mm. Um, But essentially what we're trying to do is to I guess understand this connection on a in a on a mechanistic kind of level Mm -hmm. so that we can try to target the gut symptoms. Which can then help, um, hopefully, alleviate those symptoms mm. um, and help also improve the behavioral uh, symptoms as well for essentially better quality of life for both the individual with autism and also their caregiver. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm. Um, you mentioned a bit about permeability. Um, I, I want to talk a bit about that, um, Calista. Like, how does that also affect or affect individuals with ASD?
2: Yeah, so there has been studies in humans mm-hmm. um, some time ago where they uh, fed individuals with autism um, a uh, sugar-like substance and and they found that there is increased permeability, uh, so increased gut permeability um, in individuals with autism. And they've also sort of tested that with... Um, serum zonulin protein so zonulin is essentially a protein that controls um, Mm -hmm. gut permeability Um, and also of course looking at tight junction proteins so tight junction proteins are the proteins that are present um, in between gut epithelial cells and they're essentially they essentially help control how tight the the gates are Mm -hmm. Um, and so they also show a decrease in, in tight junction proteins and so all of that to say um, that there has been studies showing that there is increased permeability in um, o- individuals with autism. And then I think this was also mentioned with- in the previous episode where with increased permeability, then you have, I guess, more stuff Uh, going through the barrier, (laughs) nasty stuff, Um, bacteria as well as bacterial-associated metabolites Mm. um, that are not supposed to cross and they're now crossing. Um, And I guess what that happens then is that it can potentially trigger unwanted immune response. Mm -hmm. And there has also been studies out there showing that there's elevated cytokine levels in um, children with autism. And this is also associated with symptom severity. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are also studies showing that pro-inflammatory cytokines um, correlate with certain key um, ASD-associated bacterial populations and also
1: gastrointestinal symptomology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So So this is where this kind of leaky gut yeah, uh, uh, term came about, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. mm, yeah. that's the
0: colloquial term. That that's the yeah. colloquial yeah. term. Yeah. Yes,
1: <laughs> it should be permeability. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Leaky gut makes it. I think I, I get why people use it yeah, because yeah. it's easy for people. Yeah, to yeah. Easier you, easier you what's can happening. imagine. You yeah. can imagine what's happening. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. it's a, like a, so it's kind of like a slow drip of a pipe, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. like a broken
1: pipe. Yeah. It's sort of leaking yeah. and kind of affecting, making the walls really damp, and in this case, it's sort of spreading all that nasty stuff across Out. throughout your brain when mm-hmm. when it shouldn't be. Um, yeah. And 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 coming back to like ASD being a, a neurodevelopmental condition, so um, the so the the a child is is born with with autism, right? And so then that would mean that the enteric nervous system would also have been wired differently, or is that already mm-hmm. because I suppose like we often think of it's because of, you know, um, you know, we spoke about this a diet and then it's affecting the gut microbiota. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of that is a knock on effect. But yeah. actually, maybe from the start, there was already a problem. Right? Yeah. yeah. So we're back to the chicken and egg yeah. situation, <laughs> Which, right? <laughs> Which comes first. Yeah. 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 And, I
2: mean, and it all adds up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's likely not a you know, one or the other kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And it's probably both, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they could be born with um, an autism-associated mutation, Mm -hmm. which then, you know, puts them at a higher risk of um, Mm -hmm. uh, gastrointestinal-related issues as well.
0: All of this said, right, it sounds like there's a lot that we don't know, there's a lot we're mm. unsure of. What is the most challenging part of studying this area, of looking at the link between the enteric nervous system and autism? I think, um,
2: first and foremost, um, autism is a, is a spectrum disorder. Mm. You know, that saying of like, uh, when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and so it is really hard to I guess sort of um, have look at it in a, in a one solution mm. kind of um, mentality, and you know we we see that in behavioral issues um, that it's a spectrum, and and I, th- I I think that that also is true for gastrointestinal issues. It's a spectrum as well, but I think one of the major difficulties that we are facing is that um, you know the gut is so. Dynamic mm. It, it um, So first and foremost It's It's such a long tube <laughs> From the mouth um, All the way to the anus And it, it differs so much Along that Do tube yeah. yeah So in terms of The enteric nervous system The neurons are different mm. um, In terms of density and what kind of neurons are there the immune system is different the function of course is different mm-hmm. um, and also the microbes mm-hmm. right the microbes are also different so um so the that's one thing and and oftentimes now we're sort of looking at the end products, so the, the fecal palate mm-hmm. um, and we're not really looking at what is going on in a mm-hmm. region specific manner um so that's one I guess, and another thing is that um, it differs so much from person to person, mm. right? Um, you know, what I have, uh, what I ate for breakfast could then change my microbiome, which could then, you know, talk to my entering mm. neurons. It's such in a dynamic a system, right? Yeah, now, yeah, Um and and it differs so much from population to population as well. Mm. So I think a lot of these studies, um, while there are very exciting. Um, Findings that are coming mm. out, I think we have to be very careful about. I guess also um, applying them in a in a blanket sort of manner because you know there's so many things that that are different mm. in our gut just. On an individ- individual basis. Mm. I mean,
0: speaking of populations, I mean, if you look at different communities, people eat different food, exactly. and we're talking about how what we eat also influences our microbiome, For and that sure. whole that That's that, that right. whole knock-on effect down. Yeah, yeah I mean,
1: and and I, I suppose in terms of you know when when you in terms of research when you're actually trying to when you do your study mm. on this population in Malaysia. And then you try to see, well, what did other studies find? Did they find the same thing? It might, and maybe you 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 find that actually their findings differ from yep. yours, right? Yeah. And it, theirs could be right and yours could be right, you know, because it's, it's the diet as yep. well as the bacteria that's there. So it's mm-hmm. really... Um, but that typically in science, you know, you look for validation from yeah. other studies mm. and whether or not other people found the same thing as yeah. you did, which is of course very important. But um, in this case, it's sort of a little bit more complicated, for right? sure. and yeah. and and the. And sort of the research needs to be more rigorous in that sense, yep. per study. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. within the study itself. But I think that is also what makes this field of research so cool, because mm-hmm. then we can start looking at how different populations um, do things and mm-hmm. how that, that then affects their. Um, gut microbiota, and as well as gut function, and I think that's why there's so much studies nowadays about different types of foods from different cultures, and and how that's beneficial to us. Mm. So you know mm. things like kimchi and mm. All like the fermented made. foods, yeah, yeah, and even like the Mediterranean diet. Mm. You know, more and more um, research about that is coming out. So really, yeah.
0: this is a field that there's endless research
1: possibilities.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she sure. should be.
1: To be oh well working on it for a while or yeah <laughs> or, or there's lots of scope yeah mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. but but I suppose also technically you know there's quite a lot that needs to be kind of worked out as well right for sure mm-hmm. yeah
2: and I think that's also one of the reasons why um for now animal research is still so important mm. because there is so much that we can control with animal mm-hmm. research like in terms of um, the factors that affect. Gut function and microbiome and things like that, and, um, and that
1: that we can't control with human studies. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And you can get some clues from the animals. Mm -hmm. For sure, And then then you start to look at humans, but with understanding that it's not going to tell you the full story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But some clues.
0: I mean, all of this said, you know, I guess to wrap up our conversation, I mean, have there been anything promising from the results, from the research that we've seen so far that can help um, individuals with ASD and their caregivers, especially when it comes to their gastrointestinal issues?
2: Yeah, so there's some... Some pretty um, exciting stuff uh, that are that is in the clinical trial pipelines. Mm. So you have things from as extreme as fecal microbiota transplants. Mm. Um, <laughs> calling that extreme, <laughs> um, it is. It, it is pretty extreme. Um, yeah. So and that's essentially um, wiping out a person's current microbiota and mm. then uh, colonizing. Uh, their gut with a new or healthy um, microbiota. And um, so that there are studies on that in within the um, ASD population, um, but that's very um, uh, new. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also other studies where mm-hmm. we are looking at microbial-derived metabolites. Mm-hmm. So metabolites are essentially byproducts or products um, of uh, bacterial metabolism. And they can cross the intestinal barrier. They can cross, some of them can cross the blood-brain barrier as well. And so some of these um, metabolites are lowered in the ASD population. And so um, some strategies have been to introduce these uh, metabolites and to try to bring that up, bring that up, and to see how that then affects behavior. So, um, a lot of exciting research, but um, I think at the moment it's it's all still pretty
1: new. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So currently, if someone wanted to do something, that it would still be about kind of maintaining a good diet, because the idea yeah. would be then to get a good good healthy population of of um, microbiota which then would benefit the enteric nervous system, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And and like you know not to be a Debbie downer but <laughs> and and I think you know oftentimes we want one definitive answer to mm-hmm. things but we always have to go back to the basics and and the thing is that it is really important to have a good diet a well-balanced diet and and try to diversify your diet so try to make sure that you're introducing various types of nutrients and fiber that's really important um, and that also contributes to a a uh, diverse gut microbiota, mm-hmm. which would then also you know make your enteric neurons very happy, um, and yeah, yeah, ah,
0: happy enteric neurons. That's what that's the message we're leaving for. thank you both so much for joining me today. Thanks. Thank Anne. you. I've been speaking to neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar and enteric neuroscientist Dr. Calista Lee on this episode of Brainwaves. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast